I think that's all the announcements. So we're going to go ahead and jump into the word for this morning. We've been in our, our, our series on the book of Acts that we've been looking at called Sent. Um, we are actually going to be on week five of that. We've been kind of taking some time and going through the book of Acts. We've talked about the church being what we like to call or what was called back in those times the ecclesia, which is more than just a building. It's more than just a product. It's actually a people. Uh, we've talked about basically the coming of the Holy Spirit. We've talked about miracles. And, and today we're actually going to be kind of not, not turning the page because all of this is kind of going together, obviously. But we're going to be at Acts 4, and we're going to be talking about something a little bit different. Because you start with Acts, and you kind of begin to go through the, the, the history of it and the story of it. Things are going pretty well up to about chapter 4. And, and, and chapter 4, doesn't things don't go bad, but things begin to shift a little bit. Things begin to happen to the disciples and the apostles that are a little bit different. Usually when we talk about kind of an excitement and, 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 and the church growing and the church doing some great things, um, we look at verses, you know, chapters 1, 2, and 3, but then things kind of begin to shift a little bit in chapter 4. And, and again, it's, it's a part of this. And listen, this is one of those messages that is not necessarily for me like, oh, goody, 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 I can't wait to share this with you. This is not one of those necessarily, uh, you know, and I hope that at the end we're encouraged and there's hope because I really want that to be the case. But this is also not going to be kind of one of those easy messages to hear. This is going to be one of those that we kind of have to understand that is a part of, of the church, a part of the ecclesia, and a part of the world that we live in. Because in chapter 4, things begin to shift a little bit. Let me kind of give you an idea. Let me give you some context of kind of where we're at. And so that we kind of understand a little bit of what's going on. Like I said, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascends into heaven. He promises the disciples the gift of the Holy Spirit, that they're going to be empowered to be his witnesses, both in Jerusalem and throughout the, the, the world. In Acts 2, they, they wait for that promise. The promise comes in Acts 2. And, and, and basically, they begin to, to, to speak in other tongues. They begin to prophesy. They begin to do all these types of amazing things. Peter goes out on the day of Pentecost and preaches and thousands. Thousands of people get saved. I mean, it, it, the church is moving. The church is growing. The church is going. Some great things are happening. Last week, we talked about it in chapter 3 of Acts. Peter and John, they go to the temple. And there's the beggar that's sitting there. And Peter gives that, that, that memorable line, I guess, if you want to put this way, where he says, you know, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you. Stand and walk. And the guy stands and walks and, and begins to go into the temple with them. And, and then Peter takes that as an opportunity to again begin to share the message of, of Jesus. And so we're seeing a lot of things happening and a lot of good things happening. But in chapter 4... All of a sudden, the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders, begin to take a little bit more of a notice. All of a sudden, this is a little bit more than a small annoyance. Now, all of a sudden, it's becoming a problem for them. And persecution begins to come. Persecution begins to, to, to rear its ugly head. And, and we kind of talked a little bit about it last week, but we're going to really expound on it a little bit more this morning in Acts chapter 4. So we're going to be there. Uh, we're going to jump around a little bit, but we're going to mainly be in Acts 4. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there or on your phone. Acts 4, let's start looking at verses 1 through 3 to kind of give us a little bit more context. And then, I'm, again, express a little bit more here. So here we are, chapter 4, while Peter and John were speaking to the people. Okay, this is, again, just immediately following the message as they're still continuing to share the message from chapter 3. They were confronted by the priest, 
the captain of the temple guard and some of the Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there is a resurrection from the dead. They arrested them and since it was already evening, put them in jail until morning. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We do thank you again for this time. And Father, as we really begin to dive in here and talk about some things that are that are very, very true, very, very biblical, but, but, but not always easy to hear. God, I pray that you would still bring forth your hope. You would still bring forth your peace. Because God, those things are ours in Christ Jesus. Our circumstances don't have to affect those things. But Father, I pray that as we look at these things together, that you would help us to see exactly what you want us to see. We love you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So persecution comes. I, I've once heard from a friend of mine, persecution is a lot like the waves. I, I've talked about this before. I'm not an ocean person. I know some people are complete ocean people. I'm a mountain person, you know, but because I, I, I just never really got the beach. I'd never got the sand. I mean, that's just not fun. And also, I, I don't understand the concept of watching waves come into the shore because I, I know this is going to seem horrible and all the beach people are going to throw something at me. I get it. But it's like if you've seen one wave, you've seen them all, okay? They just come in and they go out. They come in and they go out. Like that, I can handle maybe, I'm, you know, Megan's over laughing at me. Uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of one of those persons that like, maybe I have a very short attention span, but it's like, okay, wave goes in, great. Wave goes out, great. Wave goes in, wave goes out. Let's go. It's time. We're done. We're done. Let's go. Sand's getting in my feet and everything else. Is that it? We're out of here. A lot of times persecution is like that for a believer. It is this wave that sometimes comes in and we will have this persecution that will come into our hearts and come into our lives and we'll have to deal with those things. And then it kind of recedes and then it comes in again and then it recedes and then it comes in and it recedes. As we look at the book of Acts, we see that in the lives of the apostles. We see that in the lives of the disciples and the followers of Christ. There's just kind of this persecution that comes and then it kind of recedes. And so depending on where you're at this morning... You may be in the moment where, where that wave is kind of hitting the shore at this moment in your life, or maybe it's at that place where it's a little more receded. Wherever you're at, you need to understand something very clearly. The waves are coming. If they're not coming now, they will come. That is just literally a part of who we are as followers of Jesus. Look at John 15, 18. This is not necessarily a scripture we like to look at a lot, but it's true, and here's what it says. Jesus is speaking. If the world hates you... Now, notice what it says here. Jesus doesn't use the word dislike you. Jesus doesn't use the word put up with you. He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. In the life of a believer, persecution is going to come. And it'll take different forms and different ways and different intensities. You know, I, I joke about the waves and stuff like that. Listen, I understand. Sometimes the waves come in and they're very, very calm. And other times, you know, people are really excited because the waves are really, really big. But the waves are coming. The waves are going to come. Look what Paul says to second, in 2 Timothy. In case there was any doubt in your mind about this, this is what he says. 2 Timothy 3.12, yes, 
everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will suffer persecution. Today we're going to talk about persecution. Today we're going to talk about, and again, we're not going to talk about a particular type or particular kind, but we're just going to talk about persecution because here's the deal. We know from God's Word it's coming. We know from God's Word it's already here. We're seeing those things happen in our lives. And if we understand Scripture, we understand that persecution for a believer is not going to necessarily get less. It's going to get more intense. Again, that idea of waves. There may be times where the wave recedes slightly. But you know what? I believe this scripturally that we see God telling us that these waves are going to get more and more intense as we go on. And so Peter, John, they experience this for the first time. They do something great. They do something amazing for God. They, they do this through God uses them to, to have this miracle take place, and basically they're dragged in before the court. They're dragged in before the leaders of the Jewish people. So let's kind of now continue with this story. Acts 4, let's pick it up now with verse number 5, and let's see where we go. So, so the next day, the council of all the rulers and the elders, the teachers of the religious law, met in Jerusalem. Ananias, the high priest, was there, along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest. Okay? They brought in the two disciples and demanded, by what power or in whose name have you done this? The this here is the healing of the man. So they, they're brought in. This, this is kind of like the, high, the supreme high court of the Jewish people, okay? In, in case you didn't know this, even some of the people that are listed are the men who just about a month or a little bit more, you know, two months ago, condemned Jesus to death. This is who Peter and John are now standing before. You know, the people that, that basically they all ran from, now here they are. They're brought in and they're, now who are, who, who, who gave you the authority to do this? By what name? Who gave you the power to do this thing? They're demanding an answer. They're brought in. It's interesting here, and it's in your notes, that as we see from Acts one, or 4, 1 through 6, there's 11 different groups or individuals opposing Peter and John and their message. Scripture literally lists basically 11 groups or 11 individuals. So here they are, two against you know, we don't know how many, but, but, but more than two. And they're saying, we want to know. We want to know. They've been in jail. They're going to experience more persecution later in the book of Acts. But this is the first example of it. And so this morning, what we want to talk about, I want to examine basically how they responded to this how they were able to handle it, because I think we can take these things and use them. When, when that wave hits the shore in our lives, we can apply these same things that John and Peter applied in their lives, not just to survive the persecution, but to thrive in the persecution. And there's a big difference because God has called us to do more than just survive it, just to get through it. He's called us to make a difference even in the midst of it. And so let's look at this together. The first thing, when persecution came, they responded with the power of the Holy Spirit. They responded with the power of the Holy Spirit. Look with me, Acts 4, verse number 8. 
basically the first part of this. They've just been asked, by what power or whose name have you done this? It says, then Peter, full with the Holy Spirit. Okay? Full of the Holy Spirit. Peter's not doing this on his own. Peter's not on his own. On, and John, they're like, hey, you know what? You're on your own, guys. You're all by yourself. You're, he instead leans on the power that is available to him. Remember what Jesus said in Acts 1.8. In Acts 1.8, Jesus is getting ready to ascend up into heaven. And he says, listen, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to have power. This is what it says, Acts 1.8. Let me turn to it real quick. Acts 1, 8 says, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, that's exactly where they are, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so in that moment, I just believe that Peter just was, you know, he understood, hey, I remember what Jesus said. I remember what he told me. I remember that there's, there is going to be power that's going to come because I have now been brought in. I have the opportunity to share what Jesus is doing, what Jesus has done to all of these people. Peter, I don't believe, looked at this, and I don't believe John looked at this as a situation to, oh my goodness, now I should cower down in fear. Instead, they were like, man, you want to talk about a captive audience. You want to talk about people that can't go anywhere. I can share with them who Jesus is. It's wonderful that he understood that. And I have to believe that also, basically, Peter and John began to remember the words of Jesus that he spoke in Luke 12. Look with me. Luke 12, 11 through 12. Jesus is speaking here. And he says, and when you are brought to trial, exactly where they're at right now, in the synagogues and before the rulers and authorities, exactly where they are right now, don't worry about how to defend yourself or what to say. Why? Look at verse 12. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what needs to be said. Man, I love that. I love that basically here they are. Man, persecution's hitting them like a, like a you know, bowling ball to the noggin. And Jesus has already told them what's going to happen. Okay? Can I, can I be honest with you? Okay? A lot of times people, a lot of Christians, we forget that Jesus has already told us how this is going to go out. How this is all going to go down. Sometimes we need to, we're in the middle of that trial and in that, that situation, and we need the Holy Spirit to quicken to our hearts and our minds what Jesus has already said. Sometimes we'll pray, God, speak to me. God, speak to me. And God's like, listen, I already did. Just open your word and open it up and I'll show you exactly what needs to be done. Exactly how this should be handled. So Peter and John, they respond, understanding that there is a powerful ally that they have in the Holy Spirit. So filled with the Holy Spirit, they begin to share some things. So number one, they respond with the power of the Holy Spirit. Number two, Number two, when persecution came, they responded with clear truth. Clear truth. Let's continue. Acts 4. Now we're going to pick up the story at verse number 10. We're going to read 10 through 12. So this is what it says. Acts 4, 10 through 12. <clears throat> Peter is speaking here. Let me clearly state to all of you and by all the people of Israel 
that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in Scripture where it says, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Now look at verse 12. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Isn't it interesting that when persecution came, Peter and John didn't water down the message? They almost basically did this. Here's the line, guys. This is it. Not only is Jesus the one you crucified, by the way, God's son, not only is he the one... The, 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 the Messiah, he is the one by which no one else can come to the Father but by him. You know what we tend to do? Can we, you know, persecution comes and we get quieter. We, we, we don't want to be so confrontational. Listen, can, 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 hear me here. You can be confrontational and be loving and truthful. Do not believe the lie that that can't happen, okay? Because here's, here's what I've learned, okay? This is a real simple illustration, but one that makes a lot of sense, okay? How loving would I be if I, let's, let's, uh, let's, let's, let's say I did something crazy, and I brought in a box of poisonous snakes, and I put them up here on the stage, and my son came up to me, and my son is eight years old, and he loves animals, and he, he's like, oh, boy, snakes, I love snakes. I, oh, I love snakes. I want to pet the snakes. I want to hold the snakes. I want to take the snakes with me home, okay? And I sat back there at the back of the room, and I said, oh, wait, no, stop. Easton, poisonous snakes. Well, I don't, should I use the word poisonous? That seems a little negative. Um, snakes that have ill intent in your life if they bite you. Please, oh no, don't do that, please. How loving of a father would I be? Now, if I were to respond like this, because this is probably a little bit more how I respond, I'm not a big fan of snakes. If I, and I'm not going to yell because I have a microphone on and don't want to blow speakers at home and in your ears. But I basically said, Easton, no, stop, poison. Get away. You can't touch those. Get away from them. Yes, I'm being firm. Yes, I'm being extreme. Yes, I'm saying you've got to get away from them because they can hurt you. Which person is showing more love for their son? We have a world that for some reason, because of our fallen nature, loves to go play with poisonous snakes. And the church as a whole at times, well, I just don't want to be so firm with the truth. Listen, Jesus himself spoke very clearly about who he was. And they are just repeating the truth that he shared. Look at John 14, 6. Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Listen, folks, I understand the culture we live in. I understand this idea of pluralism and this idea that your truth can be your truth and my truth can be my truth. And if you found your truth in Jesus, that's great. But if I choose not to, I don't have to. And that's not how it works. Listen, folks, I, 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 that's just not what God's word says. God's word is very clear. 
There is one way to the Father, and it's through Jesus Christ. There is not another way. There is not another path. There is not if you can just live it right enough or you're good enough or, or all paths lead. No, 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 no. Am I being extreme? Yes. Am I being exclusive? Yes. Why? Because there's a box of snakes up here that God doesn't want you to play into and that my job as a pastor at times is to say the truth even if it's uncomfortable, even if the culture doesn't like it because the truth is the truth because God has said it, not because I have said it, not because you have said it, or not because any pastor has said it or any politician or any teacher or anybody else on this planet that's breathing it's because this is what god's word says do you like that i don't know but this is what god's word says peter and john in this moment don't back down they stand up and they say no 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 you need to understand who this jesus is there is salvation in no one else when persecution came, they didn't get quiet. They got louder. They got louder. Number three. Number three. When persecution came, they responded with irrefutable evidence. Irrefutable evidence. Okay? So, so let's look at this. Let's kind of break this down. What kind of evidence did Peter and John admit? What did they bring to the court? What did they show? to these individuals that were hearing all these things, okay? There's, there's really a couple things here I want to hit. Number one, that the evidence of a changed life, both internally and externally, okay? So, so here's, here's, again, the situation. They, they're, saying, they're saying, well, listen, listen if, if you're going to be so exclusive, if you're going to share that Jesus is the only way to salvation, where's the proof in that? Where's the evidence that that is the case? Where's the irrefutable evidence that shows something has taken place in you that only Jesus can do? And so they bring this evidence, and it's both a life of internal change and external change. Let's look at this together. Acts 4.13. In Acts 4.13, this is what it says. Now they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men. Let me stop here for a second. Let me kind of give you an idea of what this, this term, because we've kind of made it really nice and, and, and kind of kind, okay? But when you go back to the original Greek and you look at this idea of uneducated, untrained men, there's basically two schools of thought. They both go, kind of go together. One's a little more extreme. One's not quite so extreme. But for the one that's not quite so extreme, this idea, these words that we use that kind of translate uneducated and untrained basically are these ideas that they're illiterate bumpkins. You know what that word means? Okay, I'm from, you know, the Midwest, so you know what a bumpkin is, okay? It's not a, it's not a compliment, okay? So they're uneducated, illiterate, dumb bumpkins. The more extreme one is that they're literally calling them idiots to their face. They're idiots. They're going, how in the world can these guys do what they are doing? They don't understand about the power of the Holy Spirit yet. They don't understand about what Jesus has done in them and doing through them in this moment. And so they're just going, who are these guys? What is going on? They were amazed. But look at the end of the verse. And they began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. They begin to see this, this internal change in them. It's like, oh my goodness, what, why? What, what happened? What, what, what is taking place in these, these basically, you know, just 
hillbillies, if that makes sense. Like, they don't know anything. They're from Nazareth and Galilee. And, oh, uh, uh, they're, not, they're not proper. They're not, they haven't been trained in the proper schools. And they, they don't know all the stuff that we know. How in the world, where's this boldness coming from? Where is this taking place? Where is this knowledge coming from? And it's coming from two sources. It's coming from the Holy Spirit, like we talked about before. But it's also coming from the fact that these men had been with Jesus. When you are with Jesus, the more time you spend with Jesus, the more time you experience him, he's going to change you. And he did that with John and Peter, and it was noticeable. So the evidence that they first bring is this, this, this evidence of internal, what God was doing in them. But also we see an externally changed life. Look at Acts 4, 14. Let's continue. Okay, so they're, they're recognizing the being with Jesus, but then they continue. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing right there among them, there was nothing the council could say. So not only are Peter and John here showing this evidence of what God has done in them, but now here's the beggar. I mean, what are you going to say to the beggar? They knew the guy. We think that, or the Bible tells us that he'd basically been placed there for, you know, he was 40 years old. These guys knew the beggar. They went into the temple a lot. There he was, and here he is. And I love that Luke, who writes the book of Acts, doesn't just say, and the beggar was there. I love this. He goes, and the beggar standing right there. What do you do with that? How do you, how do you revert to that? There's an external change. But there's something here a little bit deeper. We're going to get into this. And I want to explain this because I think this is really important that you see this. There's a Greek word in this whole chapter that happens and is brought out that Peter says and that, write, and that Luke writes, okay? It's the Greek word sozo. It's S-O-Z-O, okay? Jesus uses this word. He uses it basically in Matthew 10, Matthew 24, Mark 8. So Jesus uses this word a lot. This word is one of these verbs in the Greek language that has a double meaning. We have double meanings in English today, okay? If I said, I went to the store and bought a bat, you could think, oh, he went to the store and bought a baseball bat. But, you know, this is a weird way to put it. But I could also go and bought a small winged animal that, that kills all the bugs in my yard, right? This is kind of how this works. There's a double meaning with this word, okay? It doesn't just mean physical healing, but it also means spiritual healing. It means this idea of both restoration of health and preservation from eternal death. Now, Luke could have used several different words to describe the word of healing and saved, but he specifically uses this word sozo. We see this word expressed in Acts 4, starting with verse number 9 and also in verse number 12. Let's look at those together. They won't be up here, but just go with me. Acts 4, 9, this is what it says. Are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Or do you want to know how he was healed or sozo? Okay. So that word sozo, healed, is the same word. And then we see it again in Acts 4, 12, where he says, There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be sozo or saved. He uses the same word. 
What does that mean? How can we understand that in that concept of internally and externally evidence of what God is doing? Listen, it's in your notes. Peter uses the Greek word sozo to move the irrefutable evidence of the beggar's physical healing to the greater miracle of spiritual healing found only in the name that brought about the physical healing. So not just is he showing them what he has done, but he's using specific words to help them understand not only does God want to do a healing work in our physical bodies, but God is wanting to do a work in our spiritual bodies the second thing, the second evidence, the evidence was shared both verbally and visibly. They didn't just show off the man. They spoke it. They didn't just speak, they showed it. A lot of people kind of, you know, which is better, you know, the things I share or the way I live, I would say, listen, I think it works this way. They go hand in hand. How you live should, should be what you say, and you, but, but you need to say some things sometimes. Peter and John didn't just allow God to use them to heal the baker and then run away. There was a healing, there was a visible thing, and then there was a verbal communication from Peter about what has just taken place. Number four, when persecution came, they responded with unwavering determination to fulfill the mission unwavering determination. So, so here, here, before we get into to Acts 4.16, so, so basically, after the evidence has been presented, th there's nothing they can do. I mean, what are you going to do at this point? If you're, if you're one of the Jewish leaders, it's like, hey, um, yeah, the guy's standing right here, guys. I mean, like, they don't know what to do. They're confused. They, they don't know how to handle this very well. And so they basically come together and they have a little meeting trying to figure out, man, we got to stop this. We got to figure out what to do. And basically, let's pick up the story at that point. Acts 4, 16, this is what it says. They, they, they're talking here. What should we do with these men? They asked each other. We can't deny that they've performed a miraculous sign and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus's name again. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them to never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. They commanded them. Remember, these are the guys that just a couple months ago were instrumental in bringing Jesus to the cross. Commanded them. Look what Jesus, or excuse me, look what Peter and John replied in verse 19. But Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you Rather than him, we cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. What's the mission? We've talked about it. Last couple months or over the last weeks, we've talked about that mission that Jesus gave us to go. We're the, we're the sent ones. We're the ecclesia. We're not a product. We're not a, 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 a place. We're a people, and we're a people on mission to complete what God's called us to do, which is to help people and make disciples and help them to understand who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for them. Listen, in this moment, they're told to shut up. In this moment, they're said to not speak anymore. In this moment, they're said to go home, pack it up. The carnival's over. We're done here. How do they respond? Listen, they respond with 
a desire of saying, you know what? We're not going to stop. We're not going to be quiet. We're not. How can we is basically what they say. How can we not tell people what has happened? A lot of times when the persecution comes, like I said, we, we tend to get more quiet. We tend to say, you know, maybe, maybe now is not the right time. Peter and John don't. They basically look at these leaders, these men that had sent Jesus to the cross and said, you know what? There's nothing you're going to be able to do to keep us from fulfilling the mission that Jesus gave us. Basically what they're saying is, listen, God commanded us to do this, and if you tell us not to, who should we obey more? And the answer is clear. They say God. So they decide in that moment, doesn't matter what men or women say. What matters most is what God has commanded them to do. The final one, number four. Excuse me, number five. Last one. When persecution came, they responded in unity and prayer. Unity and prayer. So to kind of finish out the story, after they've threatened them, it's really what Scripture says in verse 21, after the council threatened them further, they basically don't know what else to do, so they let them go. They let them go. And here's where we kind of pick up the story in verse number 23 of Acts 4. As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. Now let's jump to verse 29. In verse 29, they continue to pray. Or excuse me, up to verse 29, they continue to pray. And this is what it says, verse 29 through 31. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your, your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. So, what do you do, you know? I mean, here's the thing. A lot of times when the persecution comes, when things don't go quite right, when things don't work out the way we want them to do, you know what we typically do? Can we just be honest? We, we, we typically do something like this. We don't necessarily do it physically, but we do it, you know, you know mentally, and we do it sometimes verbally. We do things like this. We take our finger... And uh, we do one of these things, okay? We want one of these fingers out like this, and then we begin to do this. Are you ready? This is very, this is, this is deep. It's your fault. 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 We begin to blame everybody else. Persecution comes. Well, if, if, if you had just done this better, mom and dad, if you had just raised me better, I wouldn't be in this position. If, 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 Pastor, if you had handled the situation better, then we wouldn't be here. We start to blame. We start to point. You know, if my spouse wasn't this way, if, if, if my dog hadn't bitten me, or what, whatever it is. Isn't it interesting that when the believers in the ecclesia, when they began to deal with the persecution, they came together. They didn't pull each other apart. 
And not only did they come together in unity, but they came together in prayer. They said, you know what? Hey, this, is, this, is, this, is, this isn't easy. This isn't going to be, any, you know, I'm sure they began to remember the words of Jesus. I began to, oh man, persecution's coming. Oh, here we are. You know, you know the enemy's not going to just sit by and let this all happen. He's going to fight. We need to get together in unity and prayer and pray that God will give us more boldness, more ability to stand for his truth and stand for his word and to be able to share those things in love. They came together. And it's always so sad. And I do it too. You know, it's sad in my life. It's sad in others. When, when we start to face that persecution... And instead of banding together and coming together as a family in unity and prayer, we tend to push people away. Persecution's gonna come. And I wanna encourage you and encourage me and encourage this entire church family that when it does, that we come together, not try to pull each other apart. That we don't try to figure it out on our own, but instead, we get on our knees before the Lord and pray and ask for His direction and His leading and His plan. That's what we need. So look, persecution is going to come. I don't always know what form. I know that in some ways, sometimes the persecution that comes is very subtle. Sometimes it's not. But I know we are all going to go through difficult situations and circumstances in our life. And we've got to know how to respond to those things. But there's something else here that I think was a part of this whole understanding. There was something else here that, that gives us hope and peace and joy. And that is the disciples also understood who their Jesus was. He was victorious. He had conquered death, hell, and the grave. Jesus makes the comment to his disciples, don't fear the people who can kill just your body. Be concerned about the soul. Maybe that was ringing in the ears of those apostles in those moments. Maybe Peter is sitting there going, you know, and having that, that mental game that we all sometimes go through and, and going, man, these people could really hurt me. This is not a good moment. This could be bad. But he's going, listen, I don't have to have fear. Why? Because my Jesus has already won. No matter what persecution we may go through in this life, in the end, we win. In the end, when we've accepted Jesus, all these things can grow strangely dim. And Jesus and his power and his strength and his love and his grace and his mercy can just keep bigger and bigger and bigger. Sometimes when we're going through these hard moments, sometimes it's good to remember that we know the end of the story. We know that Jesus has got us. We know that he's never going to leave us. And we know that at the end of all things, Jesus is going to make everything new. Let's bow our heads and let's, let's take a moment, okay? Again, 
we bow our heads just so it's private, so we can focus. I don't know, maybe if you're in a season, maybe that wave is hitting the beach of persecution right now. Maybe it isn't. But Scripture is very clear. Paul's very clear. If we're going to live the way Jesus wants us to live, we are going to experience persecution. We're going to. In some ways, and this may sound weird, persecution is kind of that litmus test of how we're living our lives. It doesn't mean that if right now you're not experiencing persecution that you're not living for Jesus. Remember, it's a wave. It comes in and goes out. But if you're not finding any pushback from the world ever, it may be that you're a little too much like the world. Maybe we're not standing up for the things that we need to be standing up for in the way that we do. Now listen, Jesus here is not, and the disciples here are not, on the street corner screaming at people. They're not. But they are stating in love and in truth who Jesus is. And they're not doing it when it's easy. And they're not doing it with a bunch of people who are really excited to hear this message. But they're doing it anyway because they know how important it is to be on mission for Jesus. The mission of this church is to help people discover and grow in Jesus. Listen, the word discover comes before grow because you can't grow before you discover. And we want people to discover who Jesus is. And part of that is getting outside of the four walls of this church and sharing with people who Jesus is. Verbally, non-verbally, externally and internally, whatever it is. God wants to use you to do that, even in the midst of persecution. He wants to allow that persecution to actually be what propels you to even greater influence and even greater opportunities. But so many times, when it really comes down to it, when the the going gets tough, we tend to go run and hide. Jesus promised us the going would get tough. And he promised us that he'd never leave us, he'd never forsake us, and that he has sent us his Holy Spirit to give us power to deal with those moments when they come. So I don't know where you're at, I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know, maybe today you're saying, you know what, Aaron? Man, I, I, I don't know what happened this week, but boy, it just feels like, man, that wave was a big one and it came down right on my head. Maybe others of you are, that wave has, has kind of come, but now it's receded for a little bit. No matter where you're at, whether you're in a season of persecution or you're in a season of rest, God wants us to be on mission for him. God wants us to to be the sent ones and share who Jesus is to everyone that we come in contact with. So this morning, what I want to do is I just want to pray over you. I want to pray with you. I want to, to just encourage you 
Because like I said at the beginning, like, you know, you start talking about persecution. That's, that's not necessarily like, yay, we're persecution, awesome. But at the same time, it's something we need to be prepared for so that we're ready to handle it well for the sake and the name of Jesus. So if you're going through a time right now that's difficult, I just want to encourage you, you're not alone. Jesus hasn't left you. He hasn't forsaken you. Maybe you've been pulled up, like, you know, kind of like John and Peter. You, you did the right thing, and now you're being pulled up in front of the, the, the people or the bosses or whoever it might be. How dare you do that? Or how dare you do this? Maybe it doesn't make any sense. I don't know. But I just want to encourage you, you are not alone. You are not alone. And Jesus wants to use you in those moments. He wants to use you to make an impact for him. Maybe, like I said, you're kind of in that moment of rest. And I want to encourage you, enjoy the rest, but prepare. Because a other wave will be coming. Be ready for it. Have God now prepare your heart, your life, everything in it. So that when that wave hits, you're ready to stand for him. No matter how big it is. So, Father, we come to you right now. And, Father, you are so good. Father, you're so amazing. And, Father, I thank you that, that in this instance, you took the time, several times, to say, hey, listen, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have trouble. If you're going to follow me, there's going to be persecution. Jesus basically said, listen, look, look what they did to me. What do you think they're going to do to you? And, Jesus, I thank you that you prepared us for those things not so that we could just be prepared but that we could be prepared in a way that helps us to show the world who you are that you are the only way father we couldn't say that if you didn't say it first but because you stated it clearly we need to state it clearly too and so jesus if we're in that moment of persecution, I pray for strength. God, I pray for wisdom. I pray for boldness. I pray that they would be able to see the, the schemes of the enemy and be able to respond to them in a way that shows who you are and your great love for every person. And Father, if we're in a moment where the waves have kind of receded a little bit, and Father, we would not be weary in well-doing in that moment that we would take that opportunity to be preparing for a wave that we know will come so that we could respond for your glory and your kingdom and your name. Help us, Jesus. We, wanna, we, want, to do, we want to do persecution well. <laughs> it's a weird way to put it, God, but we do. We want to do persecution well so that your light could shine to a dark world. We love you. We thank you. You're so good. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Well, thanks for being here this morning. Those that are online, man, we love you. We miss you. We hope you're doing well. I know that there's a lot of announcements, but remember, tomorrow at Linda and Alan's house, Saturday, if you want to go with Tammy up to Boulder to the worship service, there's a lot going on. Also, the, the sign-up sheet for the baptismal. And listen, if you have any questions about 
um, you know, the events or the baptism or whatever, please see those individuals. We'd love to give you clarity and help you understand. But again, thank you for being here this morning. I hope you have a wonderful week and a wonderful Memorial Day, and we'll see you next week.